0: to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel. This is the show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and I get to talk about everything in between. My illustrious guest today, I have Vince Cicero. He is the Senior Vice President of Partnerships and Broadcasting at FC Cincinnati, formerly with the Detroit Pistons as their Director of Sponsorship Sales, Director of Corporate Partnership Corporate Sales Marketing and Broadcasting at the Cincinnati Bengals, the CEO of the Western and the Southern Open, Head of Sales and Global Partnerships at Ironman, The List, goes on and on. Vince, how you doing today, man?
1: Michael, doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure is all mine. As I told you before, I'm excited to uh, walk back in time with you, kind of trip down memory lane a little bit, get to learn a little bit what some of this stuff was like back in the day, I think, as uh, they like to say, and kind of where yeah. we are now with uh, you know the, the new stadium opening with FC Cincinnati and you being able to kind of mold this in your image as you see fit. But before we get to all that, Vince, the first question I have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much
1: well that's a great opening I'm, I'm probably like a lot of other people in the industry uh, originate a little bit just from uh, participating in sports and growing up with sports so as you try to figure out what were you going to invest uh, 40 to 60 hours a weekend uh, it's certainly fun to operate in an industry that you know had a lot of passion for so as someone who Grew up playing basketball, running cross country, and really loving all the North American sports. Uh, as I was picking an industry, this certainly was one that I wanted to scout out, and I've been fortunate to get in, not get out, and uh, have been able to build a career. So it's a lot of fun, especially given the amount of hours that everybody always invests week to week in whatever it is they're doing.
0: Exactly. If you're gonna if you're gonna put forty, as you said, forty to sixty, most likely a little closer to that sixty every single week. Yeah, and do something you're passionate about, right? Might as well add that little extra layer of uh, enjoyment to it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's 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 been fun. As they have even changed sports all the way through. Uh, you have a different vi- a vision of it. Maybe when you're thinking about it coming out of college versus once you get in the industry. But it's a great, great industry. Uh, probably relatively small on a, a national scale, but um, very powerful.
0: Yeah, I'm finding the uh, the more people you meet in the industry, the closer you get uh, to just about everybody, which is kind of funny. So that's why I always enjoy doing these and, and having these conversations. Because, hey, maybe, you know, as as our good friend Gerald Jones introduced us, you know, hopefully there's someone cool that you can introduce me to later down the road. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We have enough time Absolutely. there. To uh, one way, you know, as you said, you switch sports, you've switched cities. I mean, you've been, as I said before, we had the Pistons, we had the Bengals, we had tennis in there, Iron Man. Uh, So there's your running. You're obviously now working in MLS uh, and in soccer. So I -hmm. guess kind of the the way I would love to start this conversation a little bit is being in this sponsorship and partnership and in this sales, this corporate sales space for the last, you know, 20 some odd years now. How have you seen it change for the better and for the worse over that period of time, especially being able to weave through multiple sports and and endeavors as you have?
1: Yeah, I think probably the the biggest change is, the the decision process for those that are investing in sports on on the sponsorship side. When I think back to the earlier years and why some of those decisions were made, um, the amount of research that was involved or maybe lack thereof at that stage relative uh, to today, that's probably the most dramatic change. I think there's a lot of pressure on marketing executives as they decide where the resources of the company going, whether it is a publicly traded, a privately held, whatever it may be, those dollars are more closely scrutinized current day than they maybe were when I was first starting. So I think the long, along the way, the analytics that's needed, uh, the substance that you need to show, what is it that you're providing? What's going to be the return? Why is it that I should align with that property? I think is a bigger piece of the process of having the discussion and getting to a decision than it maybe was uh, 20 years ago, um, and I, I think that scrutiny is is good. In, in the end, if someone's going to decide whether it's a hundred thousand, a half million, or a multi-million dollar investment, those are important resources for a company, and why should they align with your property? And some of that's going to be the analytics that you can show. Um, I think there's certainly a confidence level that they're going to have in the people that they're dealing with, that they trust, they're going to be good caretakers of their investment in your your property, and that the organization views you know the partnership as important to them and is going to treat them well. And I think certainly 2020 has been the year when it's been the ultimate test because I think uh, a lot of partners have now found out how am I going to be treated by that property, um, you know, when teen, when times get This extremely tough, you know, how are they going to treat me in this situation? So I think at a broad level, the scrutiny of the decision is certainly much, much greater current day than than it was. And I think that's a really good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the opportunity with analytics and data and statistics now, while statistics can tell whatever story you really want them to tell in certain situations Mm -hmm. as we do know I mean what's the what's the famous quote about marketing and advertising 50 percent of it's wasted we just don't know which 50 percent right so I think with this data and with these analytics you're able to find out where the opportunities really lie I I think you know as you were saying 20 years ago and even before a lot of these deals really came down to emotion right it was emotionally I want to be attached to that brand a brand like the Yankees you know for example they're winners. You know, we want to be attached to that. We want to do, you know, we, we want to be winners too. And now obviously with the eyeballs and everything we can see in social media has helped with that. But I guess in terms of learning those analytics and learning to tell that story, how have you been able to develop professionally and understanding the best ways to, to utilize those statistics, those analytics, and, and really then not just utilize them from a sales perspective, but utilize them from a, hey, this is how we can add more value if we do more X, Y, and Z here for these partners because we want them to be happy, right? We, like It's it's always funny with salesmen, like I'm not just looking for a quick sale. I want you to be here again because it's way easier to to continue to sell you over year after year rather than going out and finding new business. So how do you use the analytics and that data from both the perspective of, hey, this is how we can help use these to sell more But this is how we can help use to to add more value to our clients.
1: Yeah, I think the clients have probably fueled that evolution because it really comes down to what is it that they're looking for or what is it that they're looking to measure? Sometimes the focus is we know exactly what our audience is and I need to see who your audience is to know that there's there's a match. So the analytics might be all around what is our understanding of our clientele? Uh, their shopping habits, you know, obviously the base demographics, but to show what is that what is that match that we're providing. For other partners, it's playing in a space where they're looking at the exposure and they really need to understand the, the visual, both who is in the venue, stadium, arena, or otherwise, and who is watching and how much are they actually seeing. So some of those analytics are controlled by the team. Uh, Many of those now are contracted resources that you can provide third party certified data as to the audience, the measurement, digital social is ever evolving because I think our own partners look at it differently now than they did three years ago, than they did six years ago. And how do you really use that to leverage the relationship? So I think our, our partners have probably steered us in the direction that we needed to grow because we needed to be able to answer their questions or show them results, um, and so we've tried to, I think, over time now, taking that so that at the front end we're taking into account of that. So, you know, easy example: if we're talking about signage, TV vision, visible signage, we're talking about at the beginning we're going to be able to show you the measurement of this, and we can show you what like results were, you know, for another partner in the same situation so that they have that at the front end as they're making the decision as much as the partner who's trying to best understand the audience and give me the deep dive on their habits, the demographic, the factors that will be important to them. So we probably incorporate more on the front end based on our year-to-year learnings. Interesting.
0: Look at that, and I, I'm very grateful that we get to have this conversation because this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm in partnership and sponsorship sales, so it's always fun to get to talk to someone who's been doing it a couple couple days longer than I have. Uh, hopefully, I can learn something. Couple days, just a couple, just a couple. <laughs> um. So, so with that, I guess let's let's um. One one other question. One thing that I've been noticing. A good friend of mine, John Balcom, wrote a book about it. Three Win sponsorship. Shout out, John. Um. One thing that we've been seeing a lot more is cause marketing kind of yeah. making its way into sports. Obviously, we've seen what happened with the the NBA and everything with the Black Lives Matter and and you know them them protesting or or striking for a game, I don't know exactly the correct term, because of what they wanted to see change and then, you know, we saw the Bucks get on the phone with their attorney general of their state and literally start to institute change. Now, some people are all about it and some people are not. You know, I'm not here to have that discussion, but we're starting to see athletes teams and leagues pay attention to that more and understand that the, the the platform that they have is very much unlike any other in the country and the world. How have you, especially again over time, seeing how this is changing and now with your new role with FC Cincinnati, how have you taken that into account and understanding, hey, you know, certain brands, they might do some shady stuff or they might do some stuff that if it comes out that we're attached to them, it doesn't look great, vice versa. There are certain brands that are doing things in the world that we want to align with as well. How, how much do you take that into account and, and how much do you go down that rabbit hole of understanding every single thing that could potentially come from one
1: of these partnerships? Yeah, what, what I'd probably say is I'd, I'd blend a little bit what you'd say is cause marketing with your community initiative. Mm-hmm. And I know for for our organization at FC Cincinnati, one of the key pillars is being very involved in the community. We've got the largest community relations staff here. Our foundation does a lot of work that, you know, last year uh, gave back a million dollars into the community. So that blends into what you may call them cause marketing, because we're I think we're authentically there. You certainly get to some hot point issues where you have to decide where do you step in? Where do you don't step in? Uh, there's parameters around that. We certainly take into consideration as I would think most uh, team sports, what is your league's perspective on it? Cause we want to certainly be in step with how our league is viewing things, how we're then viewing things in our individual market and where it's appropriate for us to step in where it's not appropriate. And as you noted, the players can be their own entity too. And there's some things that they may be more comfortable doing or maybe more or less aggressive doing than the club. And I think what's important is the dialogue. So I know as we've even gone through the current year, there's been a lot of discussion, you know, with, with the players to understand their perspective. There's been a lot of discussion with the league to understand their perspective. Um, I think it all ties back to what is the role you feel in your community we view sports, you know, if you look at the size of our organization, you know, for in the U.S., it's relatively small. If you talk about the visibility of our property, it's extremely high. We have, a, we have a big impact for our size because of the passion that consumers have around sports, how closely they pay attention to it. So when we say something or don't say something, it's maybe more noted than otherwise the size of our organization might be. So it's a constant conversation. I I think it's part of your DNA and your fabric. I'm with an organization right now where being involved in the community is critical and we put resources, we put energy, and you just have to be, you have to make careful decisions and decide when it's appropriate to step on the gas or not. Um, And I don't think there's any magic answer other than having a lot of dialogue on that platform and making sure between Your league, your ownership, your partners, your fan base, you know, what is the right step to make or not make? And those are, I think, critical decisions every organization in in sports has to make just because of the the built-in platform that we all have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it's, it's, you know, as you said, there's no magic pill. There's no, you know, no right time to know exactly when to do these things. As we've seen with the NBA, many of that, much of that was organic and kind of came up out of what has happened around uh, the country. So I think it is just something important that you kind of have to just be always paying attention. And, you know, kind of, as you said, I also think it's great that you have an open dialogue with the, the athletes, the players and understanding where they're coming from, because, you know, the sports is such a weird, you know, the, the, the employees are also the product and that in very few situations is where you get that. So while it's, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic and it sounds like you're doing a great job at just at least hearing out and understanding what is going on around the league and what is going around specifically with your team, which I think is is all you can do at this point is really just understand. Listen,
1: I mean, there's a lot of constituents in the group. So certainly as you're thinking about each step, you have to think about how will your own players view it? How will your, Front office organization, certainly your ownership, your partners, your fan base. Um, there, there's a lot to take into account. There isn't always one answer that pleases all of those those entities. So you have to weigh it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's 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 difficult to say the least. Um, to say the least. So let's um let's let's take a step back in time a little bit. So you you had a yeah. big role with the Pistons, as I said before, director of sponsorship sales. Uh, you were there for a couple years in Detroit. So this was back in the late nineties. So no internet, I don't, was did the internet, what was email like in the late nineties? Give me that, I'm (laughs) curious about that.
1: Yeah, right now, current day, whether it's the efficiency or the volume, uh, some, I I would say this, There's certainly, uh, or there was a lot more work done via phone and discussion Mm -hmm. that today uh, plus would be more efficiently via email Uh, or more impersonal via email, depending on on how you look at it. Some people will be efficient in that use, and some people maybe that's their only path of travel um, that they they will communicate. So some of those change, you know, issues and things you're working through uh, might be very similar, uh, but the technology certainly gives you different ways to get it done.
0: Yes, I can only imagine. I mean, I still don't understand how people did it back then, but kudos to you. I'm sure it was, again pluses and minuses to all of that but yeah spent a couple, spent a couple years with the pistons you then went on to the cincinnati Bengals. you were there for a what about 13 years if i'm not 13 mistaken years yeah with yeah. the uh with, with the Bengals, director of corporate sales marketing and broadcasting um it's obviously a very big role in both of those places i'm kind of curious less from the the day-to-day aspect but more from that that period of time the the difference between cities like detroit and cincinnati so i'm out here on the east coast about an hour from new york about an hour from philadelphia I won't sit here and lie to you and tell you I know that much of a difference between two midwestern cities, relatively the same size in my brain. Like, what what was the difference working in in that type of environment? Those two different cities, especially during that period of time. I mean, you're now back in Cincinnati, obviously, but and then also the difference between the the football and the basketball aspect. Because I really want to put that in perspective. I want you to put that in perspective for people to understand. Football is—it's just on a complete. As as there's four major sports here in the United States, there's football and then there's everybody else. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious. Those two bigger positions that you held earlier on in your career, what some of the the comparison and congestion were between those sports, those teams, and those cities.
1: Yeah, well, certainly on the market side, and the t- Detroit is a, a very different place. I mean, o- over time that has evolved. At the time I was there, with automotive industry. Uh, was really humming along. Uh, the county that we operated in was the fourth richest county in the country. So you had a lot of you had a lot of wealth, you had a lot of power that that was running through Detroit. And it's always been a great city, even as it's evolved over time. But during that point, you'd really view that as a big major market. Uh, Pistons was a powerful franchise had won uh, a couple championships at that point. They've won even more since then. So, Even as you had national discussions, it was certainly a property that resonated very big. So I I think the opportunities, you know, run a little bit deeper in bigger markets. You also many times have more competition uh, in markets like that where you might have four major sports, you know. And then as I first arrived at Cincinnati, it was two really with the Bengals and the Reds and now three as we've added FC Cincinnati. So you've got the dynamics of bigger, more powerful markets versus a midsize market. Uh, but then you also have more competition and you have uh, different engagements with your your fan base, I think, in a, a big market versus uh, a mid-sized market between the two. So I enjoyed both. I, I couldn't say that there was one that was better than the other. I like the variety of what that has meant being able to operate in. A city like Detroit during that time, uh, I was with the Pistons and I've loved Cincinnati all the way through. I'm probably more of a Midwest guy. having haven't grown up in Milwaukee and been Milwaukee, Detroit, Cincinnati the majority of of the time uh, from a sport perspective. And Detroit was certainly uh, with the Pistons. It was far more than just the NBA because it was Palace Sports and Entertainment. Um, so at, at that stage you know we had hockey we were launching the WNBA team at that time when I was there we had two outdoor amphitheaters we had events running through the building so it was a multifaceted entertainment which was probably why it was such a great learning experience because even as much as I loved NBA and the experience of what it is I also had all the other learnings that came through that and then with the Bengals certainly and as I arrived, we were launching a new stadium, going through that construction, um, building out the organization uh, quite a bit. And the NFL is, is, is huge. It's a monster. Um, just from a pure broadcast perspective, you know, you've got a, a lot of eyeballs that are on the sport, uh, both in the markets that they operate and outside, which makes it a little bit unique. And it's a, it's a powerful, powerful brand. Um, And the offerings vary greatly, though, depending on if you're representing an NFL team, an NBA, or now, you know, as I'm in MLS, there's variance amongst all those. So the power of it somewhat depends on what you're looking for or what partners are looking for or what the fan base is looking for, where there's wins and and otherwise uh, and looking at the options. But I enjoy both settings. They were both very different, multifaceted. Uh, sports property in in detroit and then working for an nfl team and and the, the strong presence that that creates in an individual market especially in uh, a city that that loves football and in a state that loves football
0: and hopefully they can get a couple wins soon because my goodness those Bengals, man always rooting for them. always
1: rooting good for quarterback them. though i like i like joe burrow so excited follow it every weekend
0: crossing my fingers for you guys don't get i have a buddy that lives out in cleveland and uh yeah same thing with the browns man it's just uh, one of these days one of these days one of them's gonna be good and everyone can rally around it but until then yeah. well, i guess we wait. but um so, so i mean i think it sounds like the opportunity with palace obviously as you said you know the multifaceted and so much more to learn there and then what what with switching going from having almost a portfolio and kind of being able to talk to multiple different companies and understanding their needs and saying rather than you know square peg round hole saying okay this is what you're interested in well this is part of our portfolio that we can you know offer to you and this is how it would fit your needs with the NFL and the Bengals what was what were those conversations like in understanding People want to be associated with something, as you said, with the amount of eyeballs. We all just saw, you know, the, the NBA finals, the clinching game had half of what just a random Sunday night football game does, um, you know, in the year, which is why we understand the NBA is not going to be having their finals that time of the year anytime soon. But what, what was that aspect of it like going from kind of having that portfolio down to saying like this is our one property and it's significantly big? and this is how you can utilize it, less of, I'm not going to say strong arm, but less of a a flexible opportunity with Pallet, or more of a flexible opportunity palace than coming right. down and kind of almost saying, hey, this is our one thing, take it or leave it. What were those conversations like with those partners and getting them to understand the, still the value of both aspects of it? Those yeah. two different it,
1: companies. It, it, it's a good question. Uh, on one hand, it made life a little bit simpler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I went from a venue that was operating about 150 events a year where you really felt like, okay, which days this week am I working events and, you know, going to have clients uh, down to, you know, where you had a 16 game schedule. Um, And it was, it was more defined. So I, I think on one hand that simplified it, it changed some of the offering too. I mean, if you think about it with NFL is a powerful broadcast property Uh, But for the most part, other than current day with the the tarps and some of the, the signage, it's also one that has a very clean on the broadcast. So a lot of what you sell as a team, you're not necessarily selling that camera visibility because you only have select positions, unlike some other sports, whether it's soccer, baseball, basketball, where you've got on camera signage. So the offering is a little bit different. It changes the dynamic. There's the element of partners who align with the broadcast property because it is all about the telecast. And then other partners who want to mix that along with the presence in venue to be able to interact with 60,000 plus and, and what is hit by camera. But it, it was honestly, it was a pretty dramatic change of, of focus. I mean, you really zeroed in on one thing and it, and that cut both ways. That was good. Uh, and then that also maybe limited some of the, the different discussions that you could have. And that's probably over time with some of the various moves that I've made. The variety is, has made it fun um, during that time frame.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's fun, right? Get a little change, flexibility, have some fun with it. But again, working yeah. for the NFL, with the NFL, I think, as you said, it's just a powerhouse and there is nothing else like it. Um, so I think that part is, it's always interesting to discuss. So after after the the Bengals, you went and moved on. You were the COO of the Western and the Southern Open, and now so you talked mm-hmm. about helping kind of launch that stadium in Cincinnati. um This with the Bengals, obviously, we're going to talk about that in a little bit with the uh, with FC Cincinnati as well. The move to tennis, yeah, I guess was the offer, just you know, one you couldn't refuse. Was it more of hey, I wanted to have that flexibility, I want to get a little different, especially after being with the Bengals for you know over a decade at that point. What was the, where was the The itch? What, what itch were you trying to scratch uh, to, you know, leave there and, and get, in, get into tennis? I mean, had yeah. you always liked tennis? Like, I'm kind of curious.
1: No, no, which is it probably was the most stunning thing for people as they found out I got in. Cause they probably assumed I grew up a, a tennis player. No, I mean, it was, it was really the convergence of a couple different things. At that point, I'd been with the Bengals for 13 years. Um, so it, it was the longest run. And you certainly get to a point where, you know, you're continually wanting to do do some different things, challenge yourself. And after 13 years, that is a long run in one spot, I think for anybody that that is in the industry. So there was certainly an interest in exploring, but I think for most of us in the industry too, you get to what's your family situation, you know? And uh, a lot of times you're having to make decisions in this industry because there are only two or three jobs in a given market that you've part of the move of adjusting through the industry is changing cities. So you have to accept that at the beginning. And I've got plenty of colleagues in the industry who have made far more moves than I have, and they've changed multiple cities um, in the the process. Um, And then others who have been in one spot for 25 plus years and it's worked out great. I think everyone's got to make their own decision. I think at that point it was, I'd been in one spot for 13 years, was ready for a move, and add an opportunity one of the few opportunities that opened up in the same market without having to relocate so what they were really looking for was assistance on the revenue generating side it's a fantastic it's one of the top tennis events uh in the world um and i was familiar with it i was a big fan i attended every year uh it was three miles from my house where the venue was they were about to go through a major capital expansion. They were combining the men's and women's and they really needed, uh, they didn't need tennis expertise because I had absolutely nothing on that front, uh, but they needed revenue generating and how do we figure out the best way to, to monetize it? So the ability to make an exciting move like that without having to change cities, uh, especially at a, a, a daughters in school, that I could make that move without impacting the family um, made it a little cleaner decision. I'd had other things that came up during my time at the Bengals that were attractive opportunities, but then when I looked at what does this mean for the family, it didn't weigh out to be a positive move, so just passed on those opportunities. So I think it was really the unique aspect of it was in the market and was probably the only other job in the market that, that would have made sense uh, to go to. Uh, and even though I didn't have background in that sport, that really wasn't what they were looking for. Uh, so, yeah, year one, didn't know a lot about tennis. Uh, by about year three, uh, then I felt like I actually knew what I was talking about on that front. And, um, you know, having been around people like Roger Federer and Serena Williams and all the great athletes that are in it and all the great people that work in tennis, that that was certainly a special experience.
0: That is, yeah, that, that is pretty awesome. And as you said, it's, it's, a, it's a new challenge. It's something else to learn. But more importantly, it's it's with your family, right? Like in sports, what I hear constantly is that you need to move around a lot to continue to climb that ladder to get to where you want to be. And many yeah. people have to do that within their first, you know, five to seven years right out of college. And I know people that have had, you know, three jobs in a, in a 12-month calendar year. Because they have to, you know. Okay, I can get. I'm here at the Bulls. Okay, now I can go to the Hornets, where they'll, you know. Now I'm manager of ticket sales, and then then I can go Mm -hmm. to this other position where I'm, you know, director of ticket sales or whatever. And and that's kind of the easiest, quote unquote, easiest way, I guess, to to move up. But it also makes you, you have to move however many times you have to do whatever you need to do and some people are great at that and that also then weeds out some other people from the industry but thankfully for you you were able to have a couple moves you know you said the bucks then the pistons then obviously the bangles and then with your yeah. family entrenched in a city it's difficult to move as you said two young girls your wife who i'm sure she wanted to spend time with her friends or family whoever's there and i'm sure you didn't want to just get up and leave so this right. was a, sounds like the perfect position i guess with so again, now now thinking about the offering side, right? So you were going from the Bengals, the NFL, the behemoth of the sport right. here, then going to tennis. And now I don't know what you know. If we're going to rank NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, MLS, esports. T- like where does tennis fall on that line? And and with it being a specific tournament, how much yeah. did that make it? Again, probably simplified it but how much more difficult did it make it when, when trying to do what you needed to do in terms of generating that revenue?
1: Yeah, I don't know that I'd, I'd rank it on a difficult as much as dramatically different. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the big change moving from football to tennis in that setting was with football, you've got a lot of passion around your team mm-hmm. and it exists year round um, and you're mostly a regionalized events Um, for the most part, you've got certainly some NFL teams that have the broad national appeal, but the majority, a regionalized event. I move into a tennis event, which was bigger and more powerful internationally and nationally than maybe even within the region. It was uh, an event that drew from nearly 50 states because of the athletes that came in with a large international viewing audience Uh, that was looking at it. The demographic was extremely high, as you maybe would expect in tennis. So the offering was just very, very different. The passion was around the event. Some of the passion was around individual players, but it wasn't a team sport and there weren't wins and losses. So people would come to the event, have a great time. They maybe would be upset that their favorite athlete lost, but for the most part could have a great time. In a team sport, for good and for bad, is you have people walking out of the venue feeling really good or feeling really bad based on how your team did. So I don't know that one is better than the other. They're just dramatically different. The audience was different. The global scope of that property versus uh, regional NFL, very, uh, very different. But the passion of an individual team is much higher than around in events, uh, per se, uh, so I enjoyed the variety, again, kind of the variety of the multi-sports in Detroit to then narrowing it down to a team to then narrowing it down. Uh, I had friends in the industry who kind of joked I went from 150 events uh, down to 16 events down to one week um, as I, I kept zeroing in. And then we're wondering whether I was going to move to a one day events uh, to follow after that. But uh, I, I've enjoyed the the changes uh, some aspects of it that were very similar from stop to stop. But the, yeah, that was a pretty dramatic one. Everyone assumed I must have had a background in tennis to be in tennis uh, just because of the move.
0: I think that's funny. Pretty soon you're going to do the Olympics, right? It's going to be 20 days every four years. And i um, <laughs> quits after that. But um, no, I think it, it's it's really interesting, again, kind of just seeing how your career has evolved over time. And then after the Western and Southern Open, you then go on to feld entertainment which yeah it's, it's uh, explain it to me a little bit it's more of that agency feel where again now now you're back to a gigantic portfolio of opportunities um so talk to me a little bit about that before we move on to to iron man which again is yeah is much different as well
1: Yeah, it was, it was honestly somewhat similar to the detroit situation where you could have offerings all the way around whether it was supercross monster jam disney on ice we were launching sesame street at that point you could almost have an offering for everybody, um, but was very much a national property. So you weren't, you know, with the, the role I was playing there, it wasn't individual shows and in individual markets, but trying to sell it on a national level. So it created a different set of challenges for how do you position that. You certainly had a wide portfolio, depending on the demographic that a client might be trying to reach. But depending on the markets that the shows or the performances were going into, you know, there was a lot of pieces to the puzzle to try to put it all together, but probably, you know, aptly described as an entertainment property, uh, more than a sports property. So that was probably much different than most everywhere else I've been where it came back to a sport. uh, that had a little bit of it with, with supercross, but for the most part was more of an entertainment property than anything else. Mm-hmm.
0: And then after Feld, you then hop into Ironman, uh, which you yeah. there for, for a couple months, about six months, I think, as you said, uh, yeah. before you were able to move on to FC Cincinnati, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But yeah. with with Ironman specifically, right? So you're kind of back in that sports space a little bit more. It's more of, yeah. like it's, it's it's a brand, there's events. It's, it's like a really interesting property and it's very... Um, ravenous like the people that like iron man love iron man's right yeah. it's a very uh passionate there we go that's a much better word yeah. it's a very passionate fan base how were you again going kind of through these changes and, and learning along at each of these stops what was something that you were able to take away through this the, the stop at iron man where you were at to really understand again kind of it, i assume it's a little bit closer to that nfl fan base where it's very much more passionate just on, on, a, on a significantly smaller scale
1: yeah it really about the individual versus the team and then there was aspects of it that was like tennis because you had a high-end demo mm-hmm. uh to participate in a lot of those events I me mean, takes a lot of resources both both time and financial great great powerful brand uh i think it was the number number two tattooed uh, mark in the united states behind harley right. Davidson um, and you'd see the athletes and Apley, they took great, great pride in the accomplishment of, of what they did. So I love the brand, love the passion around it. Um, you know, your, your fans are almost your athletes because those are the consumers, the participants. When you're at a race, a lot of the individuals, especially on the Ironman side, because we also had the rock and roll marathon side that was part of the, the entity, but on the Ironman side of it. You had the athletes themselves, the family, and they've invested months and months of training. So we had a great, great passion. So where we had partners that aligned to hit that demo, to communicate with them, you knew you had an audience that was going to pay attention to any of the communication, uh, as opposed to maybe a broader team base where you're going to have some of the passion but not as dialed in. Uh, fully mm-hmm. as Ironman, which is unlike any other, and then the rock and roll marathon side of it was more you know broader participant running events, uh, easier entry be for for people to be able to to run than to really do a, a full Ironman events. Uh, but great great properties. Uh, so yeah, it, lo- love the time there.
0: It's an interesting because right like you can you can be a fan of some of the athletes right you can you can have your favorites but then you also can literally. Run alongside of them, for lack of a better term, and in some of the same events, right? So it's it's such an interesting property from that that sense where you know some of the partnership deals that I'm sure you were able to to accomplish while you were there were probably very integrated in in certain situations, right?
1: Yeah, and a lot of them they really wanted to integrate into the story of the athlete Mm -hmm. because I mean the most fascinating thing for me and many many have seen a lot of running races and. You'll see a half marathon or a marathon. You'd be somewhat surprised that everyone who's finishing doesn't have the typical mm. runner look. You know, it can come in all shapes and sizes. And with Ironman, because of the demands of what you're going through, becomes even more amazing at the variety of people, ages, body types. It, it was pretty incredible, and the story for why people did the events. Like what drove them to do the the first one? And some it was one and that was it. That was their, you know, sports life accomplishment. And others became then addicted to it and did it on a regular basis. But the stories were so amazing. So that was some of the fun, uh, was trying to figure out how to integrate the partners with the storytelling because again, there was great, great passion for it and how do you align that brand. With with the athletes and and with the power of the brand of of Ironman, so um, a lot a lot of creativity in in that space wasn't a huge uh, broadcast property, you know, other than the the championships each year, um, but otherwise a lot of the races, you know, that wasn't a big TV property. There was there was just other reasons why brands would get involved. Mhm. And
0: I so I have to ask. I had a um Iron Man friend on the show, Bob Babbitt. Did you ever have the opportunity to hang out with him a little bit?
1: I uh, know the name well. Okay. Know the yeah. name.
0: Yes. He's, a, yep. he's a cool guy. So anybody out there yeah. listening, go check out Bob Babbitt's episode. He's done some interesting yeah. – he ran one of the first Iron Man events uh, in Hawaii and then has uh, created essentially an entire media company out, out covering it, which I think is yeah. – he's, he's a cool guy. Very uh, yeah. very nice, very cool guy. So um, All right, so let let's – after – iron man you were there for a couple yeah. months as we said and then you move on to fc cincinnati you've been there mm-hmm. ever since um you are the director of sponsorships oh no i'm sorry the senior vice president wrong wrong job senior vice president of mm-hmm. partnership and broadcasting at fc cincinnati you're a part of the team that's helping open up that stadium so this is your second your third kind of second, uh, second two years two years in yeah two years in so you're you're helping open up that stadium you're helping find partnerships i mean what what was the opportunity again, you know, again, wanting to go through all of this again, you know, now you're, you're going to a a smaller sport compared to football compared to um, maybe even tennis here in the United States. I'll let you tell me that, but what was it about this opportunity that you needed to come back to Cincinnati and, and say, yes, this is, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to build the rest of my career for, for the time being at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a few things. One the The FC Cincinnati story is is pretty amazing. And, and having been in market, I was at the Western Southern Open at the point that it was it was being launched. It went from three years of USL minor league to then being awarded an MLS franchise, and now the franchise only being five years old. It had such a quick rise. and I remember going as a as a fan to the very first match and looking around and thinking, This is an impressive audience, but a lot of people may be coming out for the first one. And then I also went to the third or fourth match that first season, and the fan base continued to grow. And you realized there was a lot of support in the market for the franchise uh, to the point where you know the the club was then averaging over twenty thousand. Then last year it was twenty eight thousand, which was really the fuel for why MLS awarded a, a franchise here to Cincinnati. So I've been somewhat enamored as a fan of the team and as someone in the industry at the fan support and the rise that was here. And I think a couple other factors I've I've been fortunate in that I opened an arena in Milwaukee, I opened a stadium here in Cincinnati, went part of through the expansion, major expansion that was going on at the Western Southern open. And when I think back to all the different things I've done some of the most demanding, stressful, difficult, but also rewarding things have been the venue related. Uh, there's a lot of pressure when you go through that and the idea that they're gonna be building a $250 million urban stadium uh, in a market that I have great, great passion for. And obviously a lot of history, I haven't worked here and friends, family, all over the, the marketplace that's a pretty attractive draw. You're you've got a little bit of a Cinderella story around a team that has this rapid rise because of the passionate fan base. They're building a brand new venue uh, with an ownership group that is absolutely stellar, community minded. um, And then to have it all occur in this city uh, that made that move pretty easy. So even Iron Man was great and would have continued down that, that path. But the, the opportunity to come here, you know, the organization that is it, it grew from, you know, 30 to 40 people as a USL franchise to 110 or so, whatever we are right now, we went through a huge influx of about 60 or 70 people within about a year, uh, which is kind of fun. We've got some people in the organization that are employee number one, employee number two. Uh, that I see all the time. And then we've got the the newbies who have arrived, you know, just within the last couple of years, and including myself, as we try to build this all together and try to create the best fan experience that we can, uh, try to give back to the community, um, knowing where it was going to be built in an urban setting, knowing it was going to have a lot more impact beyond just a standalone facility, but the other growth opportunities that would Spur on because of the number of people that would come to the events, whether it's an FCC match, a concert, other things that we will bring there. It's an exciting opportunity. It was an exciting opportunity when I, you know, made that decision and joined two years ago. And time has been flying by. And between now and the spring when we open the venue, um, you know, so much work let left to be done. Uh, but it's it's fun to go through the stressful process. Um, but that that was really the big big draw.
0: Yeah, and I think it is. It's it has got to be a lot of fun, right? You wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it at least a little bit. Um, and, yeah. and, and having so many friends, and 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 relationships and colleagues within that market already, probably already, as you said, it kind of helped speed that process up and speed that process along a little bit. And I guess what is, what is it like trying to find? I mean, I'm sure FC Cincinnati had partners, had relationships prior to you know the opening of this new stadium, as you said that, which, which will be here uh, in the springtime, but what is it like i mean i'm sure you're also looking for new relationships and and you know as you said now it's going to be in an urban setting and you know how how are you going about finding new opportunities within this because stadium openings don't happen all that often uh, in in you know every sport i mean you hear about maybe one a year and i think that's got I me mean, football obviously over the last couple of years there's been kind of a nice little uh, boost there but I mean, you get one in baseball maybe every couple of years. Same thing with, with hockey. You don't find those too often. This is a huge, huge opportunity that you have. How do you try and take full advantage of something like this, especially in, in a market that you're very well accustomed to?
1: Yeah, well, I think the great thing about soccer and whether that's here in Cincinnati and in, in, with teams that have launched in um, Nashville and Austin and St. Louis is coming up and all that – it's such a high growth sport. And and the great thing is, it's, it's more, uh, it's bigger globally than it is within the U S but I think the, the momentum of what is occurring right now in the U S is significant. Uh, Our franchise here is a a good indication. I mean, you went from uh, not having a franchise to having a minor league franchise to then launching an MLS franchise where you're averaging 28,000 a game, But I think with soccer, it opens up a lot of different doors. So our discussions are not just in the market, but they're also nationally because of the presence that soccer provides, the interest that it provides in the platform, and also internationally. So some of the companies that we are in discussions with now, it has a lot to do with the familiarity that they have with the sport within their own individual countries and with MLS taking all of the the matches are distributed internationally, so even as we talk about what's occurring in our venue here in Cincinnati, we've got broader distribution for that visibility. So it's a little bit different than a North American only property. You know, a little bit akin like on the tennis side, where you had to think about the international reach and what are ways to monetize that and. How do you find alignment where they might not know where Cincinnati is in the United States, but they know this is a popular soccer property uh, that has great support and provides some of the the broadcast visible opportunities that exist outside the the US. So that that makes that fun. So I guess we try to think about it on multiple levels. There's certainly the in-market and the reasons might be for the business they drive impact that it might have for their employees growth opportunities that they're looking at to use the the platform that that we can provide here and then others you know might be some traditional mls soccer focused national advertisers where they're looking to align it might not have been specifically about cincinnati but it was because we've got an mls franchise here and we've got this young uh, vibrant fan base uh, that they're trying to reach for their product and then trying to capture the international attention. Um, so it 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 has a lot of different approaches and yes with the venue opening it creates a special opportunity now but I think a lot of those special opportunities will exist even three years from now because mm-hmm. you'll still have that great platform that's growing.
0: Yeah and it sounds like it's a combination of a lot of the things that you've done in the past with that regional aspect with the, the opportunity again with the stadium as you said you're going to have concerts there you are going to have a lot of other things there so we're drawing upon your time at palace drawing upon yeah. your time you know at uh with the Bengals, obviously being specifically in Cincinnati as well but then also the international reach that international aspect uh with tennis I'm sure there's um you know player marketing that you guys are trying to do as well you know kind of drawing upon what you did uh with with tennis as well as with the Ironman and It's just kind of cool how all of these things have come together to allow you to utilize some of the things that you've learned along the way. And I guess, you know, specifically with soccer, as you said, it's a major Mm -hmm. growth sport. We're seeing it kind of just explode over the last five to ten years here in the United States. It's been around for a very long time, as we know. But, you know, one of these years, we actually win a World Cup match. I think that will help. That would be kind of cool. But in the meantime, we have guys over in the English Premier League, one of the more well-known soccer uh, leagues in the world. And we have some Americans that are just absolutely crushing it over there i guess you know over the last mm-hmm. two years especially with some of those guys i christian pulchich uh, over at yeah. chelsea one of the more well-known ones young guy really good at what he does how have you seen the sport grow and how have you seen different opportunities come about because we're starting to hear more american names over in some of these leagues around the world which again will only increase the popularity here in the united states
1: yeah, I, I think certainly um, everything that has gone on in, in Europe has helped fuel the interest level. Um, when, when the franchise launched here, a lot of it started with having the Saturday morning discussions in the pubs and, pubs and the, the bars around the area while they're watching uh, EPL matches and saying, if we had a franchise here in Cincinnati, you know, what is it that you look for? But their interest was in their passion you know, were some of the teams there. And I think the more American success, certainly that helps grow the game. The more that there's there's presence internationally, that grows it even more. Um, as we think about it, you've got some of the audience that is dialed in on the sport of soccer, and I think we've got uh, a lot of fans in in our market. It's about the event and the passion at the uh, the matches themselves. I mean, it's an electric atmosphere we've got a supporter group uh, called the bailey here that if you showed up at a match you didn't know any of the players on the field didn't understand what offsides was didn't follow much other than the obvious of a a goal uh, that was occurring you could still have a great time because you've got a built-in cheering section for two hours that is creating a fun fun atmosphere and I think not to be undersold is the fact that it is a two-hour event. So for the pressure of all consumers, everything they've got going on in their family life, their business life, and trying to figure out where is it they want to spend entertainment time and dollars, the fact that they know they can walk into an MLS match start to finish and its two hours is very valuable, whether that's a family because of what that means for the kids and attention span. Uh, or that's for busy young adults who just have a lot of other things that they're trying to manage during the course of it. So I think certainly uh, for us, an advantage is the speed of the event itself, the built-in passion for the events, and I think as things continue to grow uh, with U.S. success uh, for the the soccer fans, you know, following overseas or those that then come back and develop here. That just makes it even better. So we certainly seem to be in a very sweet spot right now for growth in the United States um, as as we look at all the launches of these uh, great MLS markets and new venues because all these new markets are building new venues. So we're excited to open up ours, as will Nashville, as will Austin, as will St. Louis um, as as they all continue. and you've got a lot of right-sized venues, too. I mean, we'll have a 26,000-seat venue that we fully expect is going to be sold out. It's mm-hmm. going to be supply and demand um, that that will make for a great, great audience uh, versus if you're trying to play in a 50,000-seat venue, you have the same 26,000, but you don't quite have that energy level that that's there. And I think all the venues that are being built across the league are like that. I mean, there's spectacular venues, LAFC, Minnesota United, great great venues and and they're all building upon one another and taking great ideas yeah
0: exactly uh you're not trying to recreate the wheel if someone's done something well you know we have those teams out in seattle and portland where they are yeah. they are very passionate about their fans we see it every absolutely year, always so cool so they're doing something right just try and do what they do and, and and to your point about two hours that is kind of the one of the nicer things about soccer right like i love baseball these four hour long baseball games man it's starting to like okay all right you know we're gonna step off okay and you know same thing college football i love football one of my favorite sports but some of these games three and a half four hours long it starts to be like all right come on like let's do something yeah. yes i know you know certain people they say against soccer is not a lot of goals so i want to see more action at the same time and if you're not going to see it like let's get it over with a little bit quicker right that allows people to go do things and get on with their lives as you said especially with kids it makes it a lot easier for the families which i think is pretty important
1: but even even with the action um, in in the venue, what what's unique about soccer, unlike any other North American sport, is you've got cheering that occurs throughout the the match. Uh, the supporter groups fuel so much. I was excited as we went around and we've been scouting new venues and trying to take good ideas. And I was out at L A F C, and their supporter group section was about the same size as what we're going to have in the new stadium. And realizing. It's the double the size of what we have right now. And to hear the volume of the cheering and the energy that created in the venue, I was looking at my colleague realizing we're going to have double of our Bailey uh, once we get to the new stadium and the energy level that creates. Um, so it's it's a different form of activity. You know, in, in basketball, obviously, you, have, you can have scoring every uh, 15 to 20 seconds as, as you move through it. You, you, you don't have that in soccer, but you've got a lot of built-in energy through two 2 jam-packed hours of activity.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it is It is awesome. I'm very, very excited to see what you guys get going there. And I know we only have a couple minutes left, so I do have one last question, especially yeah. obviously the pandemic going on has probably made things a lot more difficult for everybody, but the MLS yeah. is back. From, and I think it did pretty well, um, you know, considering yeah. it had everyone down there in the wild, wide world of Disney? Obviously, certain teams uh, didn't, you know, it didn't fare so well with the virus and everything. But how how have you seen what's been going on with the pandemic and, and kind of you know getting people excited to kind of be back in stadiums again and get to see those things again and, and, and get back to what is you know slightly a more normal way of living than we have over the last six to eight months or whatever it's been.
1: Yeah, there, there's certainly been a lot of pent up demand. And so the league did a great job with launching things in Orlando and getting things back. And, and that was the simple pleasure of being able just to watch it, because during all those all those times when you had no sports on TV of any form to be able to get back and out to slowly, you know, market by market, venue by venue, you're you're having some fan some level of fans that are, are able to go. Um, and I know even our fan base, they certainly as they think ahead to next year in the new stadium in 2021, it hasn't slowed down things on the ticket side because they just are looking ahead to those better days when we're all you know as a as a nation in a better spot to get back together at sporting events and concerts and movies and all those all those kind of things. but, Yeah, the the challenge of what occurred uh, March, where you couldn't, April, when you couldn't watch anything, to now at least we can experience it. And step by step, I think everyone's learned a lot of patience, a lot of flexibility as we kind of work through this all together.
0: And that's really all we can do. But Vince, this was absolutely fantastic. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time. I have Vince Cicero, Senior Vice President of Partnerships and Broadcasting at FC Cincinnati. Vince, where can everybody find you on the Internet in case they want to ask you a couple questions or uh, follow along in your journey?
1: Well, certainly on, on Twitter, at v_cicero Cicero, V-C-I-C-E-R-O, uh, V-C-I-C-E-R-O uh, is always an, an easy way. So love to love to connect and certainly appreciate your time, Michael.
0: Awesome, man, thank you so much, Vince. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, man.
1: All right. Thank you. Yes.